Hello and welcome to Point Streak, a podcast where we talk everything gaming and the issues that concern gamers. My name is Jeff for Baron Fang. I'd like to introduce our two guests today who are our own Victoria. Hello. And Michael, who we'll call Goose because everyone does. I, I, hello. <laughs> hello, everyone. I can't remember the last time I called you Michael, so I'm just going to stick with Goose if that's all right with you. <laughs> Oh, that's no problem. <laughs> um, and like we do on all good uh, podcasts, we'd like to start it off by uh, asking a simple question. What What have you guys been playing lately? How about you, Victoria? Um, not a great deal. I've been working a lot, but I have been finding some time for Plants vs. Zombies <laughs> because uh, nothing relieves really stress like watching plants, uh, watching zombies get destroyed by peas. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just adore it. <laughs> No, no time for Dota in there. Or? I have played a couple of games. I played a couple of games last week, which was amazing that I found time for. So yeah, Dota two. If there's any Dota two players out there, hello. <laughs> and how about you, Goose? Up to about last week, I've been playing um, Tales of Exilla. It came out for PlayStation three a while ago. But for the last couple of days, I've been doing a marathon run of the new uh, Final Fantasy game that came out, Lightning Returns. I think it's called. Oh wow. Um... Is that a uh, is that the one that's that's not an RPG anymore? That's gone like all action fighting, or am I am I thinking a different game? That's the one. It's kind of gone more of the Kingdom Hearts style than the older style. Oh okay, yeah. I'm so out of the loop on Final Fantasy. Uh, I, I I don't even have an opinion anymore. But yeah, that that one seems to be attracting a lot of uh, interest um, for the for the changes anyway. Um, and me personally, I've been playing Gunpoint. I don't know if either of you are familiar with it. It's this crazy little indie game uh, where you play a little spy. Um, you, I'd call it retro-type graphics and gameplay, but I've really never played anything even remotely like it before, so it's difficult to call it retro. It's just... Um, really? What, what genre is it? Uh, it es- I'd say espionage, <laughs> but there's some... <laughs> <laughs> but And stealth, in a sense, but it's it's kind of stealth and espionage redux. Like... Um, you you literally uh, if you walk into the line of fire of a guard he just shoots and you're dead so there's a lot of trial and error <laughs> aspects to oh, it oh yeah a little bit like hotline miami I don't um, played that. yeah i mean in terms of the graphics it's a it's a side scrolling uh it's side scrolling and certainly the hotline miami graphics would be reminiscent of it in terms of the you know pixelated sort of uh late 80s early 90s <laughs> pc graphics look to it but uh <laughs> The controls are insane. It's got a real weird sense of humor. It's got a lot of noir stuff in it. Uh, what a what a great segue. Uh, and and the story and <laughs> the story and the writing in it are, are are pretty good for a game that's um it's pretty simple in its execution. Um, so uh, touching on story and execution and, and noir, uh, we want to get into our main topic today, which is uh, storytelling and writing in games. Um, which was a topic that I uh, suggested and seemed to get a, a lot of. Uh, a lot of interest from the staff because I think it's one that everyone has a, an opinion on. Um, just for me personally, I, you know, I've been playing games a long time, and we won't go, how, uh, you know, a lot into how long that's been because, uh, you know, <laughs> it's an embarrassingly long time. But uh, I, I used to story used to kind of be an afterthought to me personally, and um, it really wasn't. It's not that I never paid any attention to it or appreciated it at all, but I never really thought about it in terms of uh, how, how, and why, and good versus bad and i there was a uh, a minor game controversy shall we say a few years ago and i won't go into what <laughs> i won't go into what game it was <laughs> we don't need to get into that but uh, in the way i don't even remember no i i mean it's kind of it's kind of fuzzy for me too but in the in the wake of that i was hearing a lot about you know 
bad writing, good writing, a lot of people writing opinion pieces. And I started to read a lot about just writing in general as a result of that. Um, and I, I got really interested in the topic and, you know, more than more than a few bloggers and YouTubers weighed in with, you know, information that I'd never really uh, never really spent too much time looking at, you know, like story structure and the hero's journey and rising and falling of plot, etc. Stuff that I, you know, I guess I knew implicitly, but had never really read about. And I, I, I gained a lot of interest in it. And I thought a lot about, you know, how how does this actually work in, in games? And I, I don't I don't know that it's uh, I don't know that it necessarily comp- compares quite so directly to, to writing in novels and, and other genres um, like it does in games. But uh, there, there's, def- there's definitely there's um, definitely I, I don't know if you'd call it a right and a wrong way to do it. But um, <laughs> there's there's a way to do it that's um, more more reminiscent of uh, of writing in in, in literature, um, and then there's a way of uh, filling in the blanks, <laughs> you know, adding adding in something like graphics and sound and other structure uh, of games as an afterthought, and then there's a way of of making it really central to the experience. Um, well, I, I might just ask, what what does everybody think of what what's the current what do you think of the current state of writing in games today you know here here in 2014 um i mean how, how about you victoria you've, you've got a bit of background in, in english uh and you know you've been playing for a while what where do, where do you think it it is now um i don't know in terms of maturity or just quality um i think people are definitely asking the question more uh certainly fans are, are demanding better writing better stories um and we've obviously progressed from Pac-Man, although who's to say that there's not a narrative there, mm. um, you know, within that. And I think, I, I mean, the first thing that springs to mind when people talk about storytelling in games for me is the kind of the innovative experiments that people have been doing. So I always think of Dear Esther, mm. uh, Gone Home, Stanley Parable, where people are just being slightly odd, you know. Um, but certainly games, games are definitely following traditional structures of literature and drama, I think. Mm-hmm. And and we'll we'll get into uh, we'll get into the question of whether or not we think that's for the best <laughs> or not <laughs> later later on because uh, there's arguments on both sides. H- how about you, Goose? Uh, h- how do you feel things are in terms of just you know quality maturity? Uh, obviously, we've come a long way, but uh, where do you see us now? I honestly feel like that the gaming industry is finally starting to have that that mature line where you can understand they're telling adult stories for adults to watch. And I don't mean adult in that sense. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> I mean, in, for example, take the, take the Witcher series, for example, where it shows you, you can show a fantasy setting, but still keep it a very dark and mature title. I think a big problem when it comes to modern RPGs in particular is they have what I call the Star Wars problem in that, either A, take the left road to, say, the original trilogy, where everything was simple. Those games you can get right into, you understand what's going on, and everything is big enough that it feels epic, but small enough that you're a part of it. Or they take the other road to the prequels, where everything is way too big to where you really don't care by the end of it. You're just, like, clicking the button, hoping to get over because the story has become so convoluted, you don't care anymore. Thankfully, we are seeing a lot more games nowadays take that correct path, keeping the stories focused, big, but not being over the top, to where people can get into the story, enjoy the story, and more importantly, understand the story without having to go research for 20 years to get everything straight in their head. 
Yeah, I, I can't believe we got to Star Wars that early in the, in the discussion, but thanks thanks for getting that <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of know what you mean. As somebody who, um, as somebody who spends way too much time uh, looking at codex entries in games and enjoying it, admittedly, um, I, I have mixed feelings about that. Like on the one hand, I, I like a game that you really have to put a lot of work into. On the other hand, there there's that you know, <laughs> there's that I just want to I just want to be able to play and not have to do homework <laughs> type thing. <laughs> you know, uh, so you know a lot of uh, a lot of layers to the onion is nice, but I, I get you're right. Starting small and building up. Um, and, and doing the uh, you know the the Kurosawa type thing where you know you start with a, a couple of small easy to relate characters and then you're introduced to the world through their eyes. That's kind of a nice way to do it. And a lot of games do do that. And then there's other games that just throw you in the deep end, <laughs> and uh, you know you're you're being shot at within the first uh, few seconds and you don't know what's going on, but you shoot back because hey, you're playing a video game, right? Um, and the worst is when you don't remember your character is like you're in the middle of it because you've got amnesia. <laughs> <sighs> That's so boring. Yeah. Not amnesia. Oh yeah. god. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. We're we're we'll touch on some of those uh, clichés and tropes later and uh yeah, there's definitely some that have been overused to to say to say the least and uh, the amnesia one uh um the amnesia one probably a bit too often um Gaming, gaming has I don't has gaming used that it was all just a dream yet? I think Super Mario Two counts as it was all just a dream, but uh, <laughs> not not a not used nearly as much as uh, Amnesia. Well, yeah, I I mean I I concur with the two of you largely, and you know you mentioned Pac Man, Vicky, and I was thinking about Pong, so uh, <laughs> even even older. <laughs> uh, but you know it is quite an interesting through line. You know we we've, we've gone from you know Pong and Pac Man through to you know. All your base are belong to us, and thank you, but our princess is in another castle. Up to like, you know, actually lines that uh, that are kind of hard hitting. You know, like what good's an honest soldier if he can be ordered to behave like a terrorist? You know, games that are actually trying to say, to say something. Um, I don't know. It, some it's arguable how well they say it and how much they get lost in in the murk along the way. Um, but yeah, I, I I'd say it's 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 a pretty steady upward line in terms of. Uh, quality I, I just don't know that it's um I, I don't know that we're ever going to get away from uh bad writing and afterthought writing as as long as games are as much about the about dollars and cents um i i, I think story is always going to be uh unpredictable um i don't think you're going to have uh i don't think you're gonna have a case where um there, there's just certain genres i don't think that are ever going to be heavily story driven or, or or where people are going to pay nearly as much attention to it or publishers for that matter um, I mean, if if you've played a Call of Duty game over the last ten years, uh, you know that they tend to go back to the same bag of tricks over and over again, yeah. don't they? <laughs> Although you have the same problem in uh, more traditional forms of storytelling, books and films. You, you know, we we've we've been writing things down for God knows how long, and the film industries. I mean, what maybe? How old is the film industry now? Like a hundred? Mm. Um, oh. And there's still awful writing in films terrible stories that are just so bad and books you you know you find books and it's just the worst cliched naff thing mm -hmm. i don't think we'll ever escape it yeah <laughs> so bad bad writing in video games is in some good company yeah well that 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 goes to my next point uh and, and it's something i hear now and then um 
Do you think writing in games is basically just a watered down version of the quality of writing and the storytelling that we see in other genres, movies, plays, books and TV? Like we hear the word cinematic so many times when when people are when when publishers in particular are are describing their games and sometimes they just mean the visuals but a lot of the times you can tell that they're really trying to compare it to sort of big budget entertainment and I, I don't know sometimes I sometimes I look at it and just go this is something that's been done in another genre um, but I don't know is am I being too harsh by calling it watered down do you think what do you what do you reckon goose in my opinion, it all comes down. The biggest problem in both the film industry, the television industry, and the video game industry is that publishers, developers, etc., don't know the difference between an author and a writer. Mm. Because you can get a writer who can handle anything, he thinks. So he jumps in both feet in the water, and what you get is artistic integrity. Mm. When you have an author... You have someone who's actually studied the art, who knows, who's done the research. And let me just say, if anyone's listening who wants to get into writing, do a little bit of research into Joseph Campbell's work. It will teach you the correct path. It'll teach you well. And it'll lead you to a far brighter future than just trying to go out on your own will ever do. Hmm. On the other hand, you might argue that uh, using Joseph Campbell's work will allow you to just produce more of the same rather than innovation. Uh, Do you know Campbell, Jeff? No, I I, uh, I don't recognize the name anyway. If, if I if I is there a story or a, a franchise that yeah, he's done yeah, that I know? No, <laughs> no, he's um, a theorist. Um, oh, okay. So he's um, he wrote a book called The Hero with a with the bleh, the Hero with a Thousand Faces, and um, it's called the Monomyth, and it's it it describes the formula for telling a hero's journey. Uh, right. So. There are certain things that have to happen. There's waypoints, and you can find them um, in any story. One of them being, um, I think, like you meet a master who helps you, to, who teaches you. And in Star Wars, that's Yoda or Ben. Um, and I can't think of anything else. Perhaps in Dragon Age, it would be Duncan. Um, you know, they initiate you. They get you to answer the call to action. Um, you know, and it's it's that kind of thing. It sets up a list of tropes where you can take almost any story in any medium and make it fit this pattern because it's just how we tend to tell stories. Right. I, I think, I don't know that he was mentioned by name, but one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, Mr. BT Tongue, has actually used that monomyth, uh, you know, he's mentioned that monomyth thing a few times in some of his videos, so it does uh, it does ring a bell. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I agree with Goose in the sense that in, in you know, maybe in informing yourself about uh, stru- the structure is, is a good start. But um, may- maybe if only so that you know how to do it, di- you know, might have ideas about doing it differently. <laughs> or uh... Yeah, definitely. And rejecting the monomyth is then a kind of artistic choice that you can make. I do, I do agree that I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how much of writing is talent, you know, like I don't know how many kids pick up a, a piano or something. I don't think any kids pick up a piano. <laughs> uh, how many kids can just play the piano and it's amazing. Yeah. You know, there's, oh, there's got to be some formal. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 did you just say piano smash? Because I was literally, I, when she said, I don't know how many kids pick it up, I was picturing Bam Bam Rubble from the Flintstones just slamming, <laughs> slamming a, a, a Stone Age era piano. Um, well, I guess what you need—I guess what you need—is imagination, which clearly you and I both have in spades, there, Goose. If we're if we're wandering off in, in, in the middle of uh, Victoria's argument, to, <laughs> to, um, 
Well, uh, and you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned uh, a, a couple uh, nods to tropes and things there, um, and and cl- and clearly there's <laughs> clearly there's a lot of go to cliches and, and and tropes in video games, and I I think I, I think some of them are used out of laziness. It's fair, and I think some of them are used because they've kind of become shorthand for gamers and and the audience. You know, uh, like like. Uh, it's it's just easier to get your point across by going back to them. Um, and some of them and some of them are a bit tired. I I, I personally find the um, I find the fact that these days antiheroes tend to be the order of the day and the only order of the day a bit. Uh, I mean, haven't how do you guys feel? Haven't we had a, enough antiheroes? Has that been done enough times already? What do you reckon? <laughs> well, that's a controversial question. It it, it is. I just. <laughs> You know, I, I just there's so many games where it's this like you know brooding badass, and you know while I can enjoy that, it just it's a well that's been gone to so many times um, that I I, I wonder uh, how many how many more times do we need it done? You know, um, is is there any? Uh, I mean, and and obviously uh, the, obviously and and uh, as as some recent controversies on the uh, internet and uh, in, in the gaming sphere have have proven. Um, Tropes surrounding women, as well as a, is a, an at times controversial uh, topic. Um, is there, are there any, are there any tropes that you guys find particularly uh, uh, galling? How about you, Vicky? Amnesia. Yeah, yeah, amnesia, which we covered <laughs> earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's cool until everyone's doing it, and you know. I suppose that's how it always works, though, right? The first time everyone thinks, wow, that's innovative. Mm. And then after a while, they're just like, man. It's like the first time you eat pizza, and after a while, they're like, oh, God, pizza again. Yeah. Or the first time we all saw the slow motion from the Matrix, and then five years later, it's like, oh, Christ, they're slowing <laughs> down again. Yeah. Enough with this. And this is the part of the show where you realize you regret having me on because. <laughs> Speaking of tropes, there's a couple things that I just don't like about it. And getting back to the anti-hero, one of our affiliates, Archie and Gaia, has a theory of his that I actually have latched onto a bit myself. And that there's a difference between being dark and edgy and being darkier and edgier. Because you can tell a dark, edgy story without going into those same old cliches. You have either it's the old cop coming back for one last round or the old hero who put away his sword because blah, blah, insert plot here. Or you can tell a story that actually, if you want to have an anti-hero, you can. I'm with you on the anti-hero. It's been played out to death. Because you can only do it well once or twice in reality before you're retreading old ground. And getting back to something else you said about the the tropes involving women. Now, personally, these always have pissed me off from a very young age, particularly when they're used poorly. Now, obviously, there's always going to be a place for, say, what they call the Mario where you're going on an adventure to save a princess from a monster, the end, yay, everybody's happy. But there are certain games, particularly here in the last couple of years that have come out, that just take that trope, and it just makes you cringe when you look at it. The biggest example I can think of is Retribution Ride to Hell, which took the Daniel in Distress trope literally to the furthest I think it could ever possibly go. Now, for the uninitiated, let me explain. In Retribution Ride to Hell, there are certain moments in which your hero, and I use the term incredibly loosely, finds a woman who's about to be sexually assaulted, about to be raped, about to be murdered, possibly. We don't know. He kills the guy about to do it, and literally in that moment, she has sex with him. Wow. Yeah. I believe Angry Joe put it best that it was tone deaf and fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, uh, it it really it really felt watching those. I, I've seen that game reviewed a couple of times. It really felt watching those reviews like they had um, different teams working on different sections of the game. And and, and may, maybe I'm being generous there. Maybe maybe there was just one person in charge of the through line of the plot, and they thought that made sense. But I, I have to chalk that up to just you know writing in committee and cobbling a, a game together. Uh, piecemeal because i don't know i don't understand how anyone could think that that game made sense uh in in terms of you know anything much less women villains <laughs> or any of the themes that they touch on in that game i actually tried to review it myself but honestly after playing it 45 minutes i was like i can't play this game i just put it i just put it right back in the mailbox and sent it away just get out of my house i can't do this <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> It's the first game I've ever actually tried to review. I sat down, went to go play it, and just said, you know what, it's not worth it, and stopped writing scripting. Because it was just ungodly on every level. It's interesting about, you know, this kind of anti-hero business. I love an anti-hero. Batman was my favorite superhero growing up. Mm. And I don't think he's an anti-hero, but he's definitely got the dark and brooding thing going on. Mm. And now I'm just thinking back to the games I've played in recent years, um, RPGs, and... I can't really think of a non-emo hero, mm. which is odd because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have outright rejected the anti-hero trope. But now I'm thinking about it. One of my favourite characters growing up was uh, Guybrush Streetwood and Elaine. Um, oh, from played Monkey Island. Monkey, I, I I know I would know him if you showed me a picture, but I haven't I haven't actually played Monkey Island. No. Oh, oh, my, oh my goodness! I I we I played them to death, mm. and I still have them, and I would play them again, and I will perhaps this summer. They're so mm. good. And it's the damsel in distress trope. Mm. Um, but Elaine, Elaine just seems exasperated by the whole affair. It's kind of an irritation to her watching Guybrush, her husband, and um, so she... Chuck, the villain, kind of mess things up and they're rubbish. And she's just embarrassed, you know, for that to even to be there. It's hilarious. So is, is it self-aware? Like, she, is she like referring oh, yeah. to the ridiculousness of the trope and all that? Or absolutely, it's completely <laughs> self-aware, and it made her into this really cool. Um, hero because she saves herself and Guybrush messes it up like right at the beginning of the game she's got herself out of trouble and Guybrush meddling trying to be heroic gets her caught again and you know she's kind of <laughs> face palm and and it's this it's a really nice reflection on the damsel in distress trope without actually turning the game upside down because you still play as Guybrush you still like the game is about rescuing Elaine each yeah. each game is pretty much about that but they portray her in such a way that they know they're doing it. They know they're playing on a tired trope. And this game is what? Oh, my gosh, it's so old. Yeah, it's early 90s, isn't it, I think? Uh, mid, yeah, early yeah. to mid-90s. LucasArts. Yeah. Uh, good old LucasArts. Maybe 20 years old. It's, Re it's fantastic. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest yeah. in pieces. Yeah. Um, Amen. And for me, and for me, you know, the ones, the ones that always, uh, I mean, any hero one kind of bugs me just because it's, as I said, it's been done so many times. But the, um, the go-to villains, they also bug me as well. Uh, you know, the 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 evil giant corporation and the Nazis. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I've I've had a lot of fun shooting Nazis in games. I'll I'll admit it. Going back to, <laughs> going back to Commodore. Going back to Commodore 64 era games, I've been shooting Nazis for a long time, and I understand why people go back to them as villains because they're, you know, safe. Um, but uh, everybody's defending the Nazis. No, exactly. And evil corporations are also an easy target, but they they just they're just an obvious one. And I I, I sometimes like it when um, I sometimes like it when they you know 
the villain either has, you know, something new going on or some redeeming qualities or, you know, every once in a while I just like a villain that, you know, they don't really go too much into the background and they're just kind of, uh, you know, Lovecraftian in the sense of being so evil and so strange and alien that you couldn't possibly understand their motivations. Um, but yeah, I, I, I find, I find a lot of the, uh, the villains to be recycled, I think is the best way to put it, uh, in, in games these days. Um, yeah, it sounds like it's coming back to just the, the desire for variety rather than an adherence to fashion. Mm. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not necessarily that you, you hate a, just a totally evil villain who, you know, an Iago where you just have no idea why he's behaving that way. You can't understand it is evil. Uh, and then sometimes where it's, it's a fallen kind of angel situation. Mm. Um, but we do tend to get a spate of nothing but this one kind of villain. Yeah. So you're just sick of it. Yeah. Yeah, or or just. And it makes a new villain. It makes a new villain so much more popular whenever, say, someone sees a new type. For example, in the next generation of Star Trek, they had all of the alien races were mostly just a sort of a cliche on a human race. I know I'm gonna get Star Trek fans on my ass for that one, but I'm putting it out there. But then they introduced a truly unique villain in the form of the Borg, and everybody became drawn to it because it was something different, something new. And we see the same thing in the gaming industry. Like you, like both of y'all said, we see the same villains kind of overused. So when there's a new villain, example would be Handsome Jack from Borderlands, someone who takes that villain trope and really plays with it. It isn't taken too seriously, but you can still tell it's a very evil individual. It makes us far more involved. And you would think that the game developers in particular would see that and realize that when you go outside the mold, you actually can make something that is much more memorable than just another state-of-the-line villain. Yeah. Of course, in the case of Star Trek, uh, eventually they decided to run the Borg into the ground and turn them into Villain of the Week. But I, I agree. They, <laughs> they, I agree. They started off uh, being a unique, you know, type of uh, adversary that hadn't been seen before. But like so many things with Star Trek, they uh, they can't help themselves by wrecking a good thing. Um, just getting back to uh, how important the story is. Do you two reckon that a good story can actually sell a game? I mean, I. I don't. I don't know whether bad, bad writing. I think can harm an otherwise good game, or at least a, you know a score in a review. But do do you think it's actually gotten to the point that it's a it's a selling point that um, that a game that has you know a reputation for good storytelling, good writing is uh, is going to sell better? Is that I guess that speaks to people's expectations. What do you What do you think, Vicky? Uh, absolutely. I think that games. Some games focusing on story draws in an entirely new audience who perhaps wouldn't have been interested in games prior to that because they, uh, you know, you've got your different people who watch films. Some people watch films for, you know, the cinema, the theatrics, the action, the guns, uh, the explosions. And other people watch it for the story, the characters, you know, they like a kind of softer drama where it's more of a kind of a mind time. Um, and I can say certainly that there are some games I play for the story. And I will keep playing them, though I'm not in, like not super interested in the mechanics. Um, Mass Effect. Uh, th I'm, I just don't like shooters. I hate them. They bore mm. me. I'm bad at them. Uh, I played them purely because I enjoyed the story. And the compelling mm -hmm. story was what made me play them. Otherwise, I would have just put it down after 10 minutes. Like, no, it's a shooter. I hate this game. Yeah. So definitely, story can carry some games. What do you reckon, Goose? I completely believe that if you have a good story, definitely put it in the forefront. It'll definitely bring you in a wider audience. Now, I also believe this comes as sort of a double-edged sword with a company. For example, if you're very well known for your storytelling, 
and then someone gets one of your games and the story doesn't meet their expectations, well, now they're very disappointed because their expectations has been risen higher because of your excellent reputation. So it makes companies have to stay a lot more on their toes than, say, a company known for its action but not so much its story would necessarily have to be. Yeah, I see, I see your point. The uh, I, I, I've and I've, you know, I've had I've had higher expectations uh, from from companies before my, myself when it comes to the stories. And it's it's not that um, it's it's not that it actually harmed the game so much as I was I was expecting more out of it than just, you know, the the gameplay experience that as presented. Um and as far as what you were saying, Vicky, about it uh, being a draw card, I, I do think personally, I've I've seen you know two really well written games, Portal and uh, the most recent Telltale Walking Dead game. I knew a lot of people who got into those games who would otherwise not have been terribly interested in those types of games, particularly yeah. particularly Portal, because I mean, it, it as popular as it is, I don't know that that puzzle type FPS game was ever. I don't know. Is there a big audience for that? <laughs> I, I feel like there probably wasn't, but just the just the presentation and the writing and the humor, um, I think drew a lot of people in. Um, and in the case of Telltale, like you know, I've I've heard of people playing that game that wouldn't have touched an adventure game um, that that went into that purely on the basis that they you know been told that the story was uh, was excellent. And you know, I I certainly feel that uh, you know, th I mean, that game there was nothing about the gameplay that I found. Um, uh, amazing. Uh, it was actually fairly basic, but in the in the end, it didn't matter. The, the gameplay was good. The story was great. Um, that's that's a great example of one. I, I feel that the the strength of its story is really what carries it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Although I I think the thing that I would comment upon is to say that I don't think that story should be valued um, more highly than other aspects of gaming. Um, people are focusing on story now. As it just, it's just this fashion thing again. It's fashionable to have a game with a story. Um, I don't think all games have to have stories. Um, I just, I just don't. Uh, it does. You don't have to be kind of. You don't have to be making people cry to make them have a good time. Mm -hmm. As a, as a massive fan of Plants vs Zombies, mm. um, there's there's not really a deep story there. It's just yeah. a puzzle game, and it's fantastic. It's a great game. Yeah. Um, and as we're seeing now, you don't have to have a game to tell a good story through a game now. If you look at like Dear Esther yeah. and the Stanley Parable, is that even a game? It's all about the story. Yeah, and and I I think vo I think volumes uh, part of it as well. I mean, games like Gone Home or uh, The Swapper, um, they're games where the story is really something that you find in bits and pieces and messages and and notes and things like that a lot of the time. Uh, it's like something that you're discovering along the way. Um, so it's it's very much and, and meanwhile it's they're presented in these games that have their own gameplay mechanics. Um, I kind of like that too. I, I I don't think every game has to have amazing cutscenes and uh, you know a brilliant overarching story and require you to read the uh, um, pre pre work <laughs> in order to uh, get into them. Um, Absolutely, and games that tell stories in different ways other than. Uh you know, dialogue and reading. It, it's excellent where uh, you're told the story by the place you're walking around, you know, how like Skyrim, you know, you're walking around, you see the look of the town, you see the people, you can overhear conversations, um, and it's a, a story that's constructed through its environment rather than told to you um, or written down for you. Um, right. And it's really nice where, when a, a game just oozes story. Yeah. 
and it, it, you get out of it what you put into it, you know, you, like you don't have to look at the books in uh, Elder Scrolls game, right? Like, is that that's not something that's required of you? No, it's not. Thank God, because there are hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Goose, you, you touched on this earlier. Do you think it's just I mean, and Victoria, you mentioned you thought it was somewhat of a fad, the, 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 um, the push for story, story, story. Is it is it all from expectations or is it a fad or is it a combination of the two, do you reckon? I think what's happening particularly now is that people saw that there was a huge upsurge in the concern of fans for stories a couple of years ago when a certain game who shall remain nameless came out and very pe many people were disappointed by it. And so now every game that comes out, this, those same people are giving the, each game that level of scrutiny. I can't tell you how many videos or things I've seen about different game endings since then, whether it be Assassin's Creed or whether it be Lightning Returns, etc., where people are either extremely happy by the way a game has ended or extremely angry about it. And that leads right into storytelling because... The second someone is going through your story, they're not focusing so much on the other aspects of your game. Developers see that, and so they want to get on the good bandwagon. They want people to watch. So they're like, look, we have a story. They're not so much focused on the rest of it, which can be, again, a double-edged sword. Because the best story in the world, depending on how it's implemented, can be a poor game. Walking yeah, Dead, as you I said, agree. for example, the gameplay is bare-bones basic, but... The story was so good, it had people hooked in. However, you can't expect that same formula to work, say, 20 times. Eventually, people will get tired of the same old um, gameplay, and then it will be right back to people talking about gameplay, and you'll see the story begin to suffer. It almost feels like a roller coaster in a way. Yeah, yeah I, I really agree with you on that point of it being a double-edged sword where, on the one hand, everybody's pushing to write better stories and create these excellent narratives. And that's awesome because it's encouraging innovation in the field of storytelling, digital storytelling, which is really cool. But on the other hand, you end up with, you know, one good game for every 20 flops because they're focusing on an aspect that maybe isn't right for them or for their game. Um, mm. And that sucks. I, I do wonder over time... Um... Much like much the way that comics did for for a while there and continue to that you know as as the dollar figures climb ever higher in terms of games and how much they sell and the pro high profile they have as an entertainment genre, is it going to be easier to attract good writers and is it going to mean that there's more good writers to go around um, writers that would have otherwise stuck to other genres like writing or or TV or whatnot dabbling in. Um, in games, uh, oh, I mean, we've already seen some game writers make the leap into other arenas. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm of two minds about that. I, I I wonder whether or not it's just a case of finding people who are passionate about games and and passionate about writing, or <laughs> rather than attracting um, talent from outside. But uh, I, I, I if you go back 20 years, you know, I, I don't think I would have seen too many games where you would have had a you would have had a, a famous writer's name attached to it or a famous franchise by a writer attached to it. I, I think more recent, I think that's a more recent phenomenon. I, I don't know whether I know whether it's for the best or not though. What do you, what do you guys reckon? Vicky, Vicky, you're, you're, uh, having an English degree, I guess. Uh, do, do you see anything about writing in, in other fields that should necessarily be a barrier to being able to write well in games or? No, no. I mean, one of the things you said was about the kind of people that are attracted to writing in video games. And 
I find it interesting now that people are slowly changing their, um, you know, the requirements when they're employing people. I think it was, um, who makes The Witcher? Uh, Project Red. Red? Project Red, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was on their website and in their careers section, because who doesn't browse the careers sections of uh, publishers <laughs> and developers, right? Um, they're asking for people to join their team, not just pro with programming um, and kind of technical skill sets. They wanted people who had degrees in psychology, um, languages, uh, all, the, all these kinds of um, social sciences, uh, which was really cool because they're wanting to develop games that have a real impact they're really interested in storytelling and uh, emotion and, and all this kind of thing and I wonder if publishers and developers will be expanding their talent you know their employed talent to include people with English degrees and drama degrees and um, people who've done theatre studies and I wonder if that then will trickle down to um, colleges and universities where games writing um, digital media storytelling will they become degrees mm. where you can study all of it and, and learn how to be good at this and apply your talent uh, to this medium specifically. It seems like it can't hurt. I mean, uh, it can only get better, I would think, if, if that's the case, right? Yeah. Absolutely, because, I mean, like Mr. B. Tong, um, I don't know if he has a background in writing or literature. He sounds like he does. Mm. Uh, you know, you get these analyses which are, I don't want to say obvious to the student of literature, but they're just analyses that use the tools that people who've studied literature or film or drama yeah. or theatre, you've got that tool set and you can analyse it in that way. And I wonder if having that tool set when you go into writing a video game would change what you came out with. Yeah. And, and Goose, you've, you know, you've made the point before um, that, you know, the, the writing's a bit different because you're, you're in games, you're very, you're very seldom ever starting with the story. You're starting with a genre or a gameplay hook and then writing a story about it. So it's, it's a bit of a different animal than somebody who's just sitting down at a blank page starting to write a book. The story has to fit, has to fit into something else, right? Rather than the other way around most of the time. Exactly. Particularly when you're talking about the, um, the big developers, they're already looking for a particular type of story. And so they already know what they're looking for going in. This is one area where I feel like, for example, the indie game developers have an easier time of it because whereas big developers, they look at a story, they don't want to take many risks. They want to make a by-the-numbers story is going to get the most amount of buys. Mm. Whereas, for example, an indie developer, they're looking to tell an interesting story, something different, something new, and they don't have as big a risk as, say, a Capcom or Electronic Arts would. If they put out a multi-million dollar title and it falls flat on its ass, they're in trouble. But if you've only been working on, say, a couple of grand into your game and it falls flat, yes, it hurts you personally, but you'll be able to recover from it a lot quicker. So you can take those greater risks that ultimately end up in better stories. Yeah, or at least, um, at least a variety of better stories, right? Like, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that every indie title that's had a strange story has been a good one. Um, like, for instance, I, I know Braid oh, is. I, I know that Braid is supposed to be, uh, you know well well loved I, I i just found it really obtuse and you know pretentious to be honest but it, i'll get i'll give it at least it was different you know um and and i think you're right i don't think you would have got that sort of uh risk taking uh from a from a big publisher i think they would have stuck to um the f or wanted to stick to a formula um you know just to protect their investment um and that's business i guess but it, business doesn't always necessarily result in the in the most interesting or um bold writing um 
I, I had a note here to ask about this, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I think I'm I'm expecting uh, to hear much the same uh, reaction to when I wrote it down. W how do we feel about source material and adaptations? I, I personally feel it's. Uh, I, I think a mixed bag is probably being generous. Um, w when you're adapting something from another genre to a game, my feeling is the story tends to to suffer probably nine times out of 10. Uh, what do you reckon, Victoria? What's What's been your experience with that? Or have you played many adaptations or things considered an adaptation? Um, I played Lord of the Rings games um, and I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to get that out there. I'm just trying to think, have I played anything that's been adapted? I mean, if you're talking adaptation, not from a direct source, like Lord of the Rings, the book, Lord of the Rings, the game, um, then no, I don't think I have. But if you're talking things like um, Skyrim and uh, perhaps not The Witcher, okay, Skyrim as an adaptation of um, medievalist tradition of storytelling, yes. Um, and yeah, mixed bag, definitely. Um, because, I mean, going the other way, uh, films that have been adapted from games, they're rubbish and they sort of highlight oh, yeah. how bad the story is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the game, because there's so much going on and you're involved, you don't mind it as much. But when it becomes passive viewing, it's a bit embarrassing. Um, although I did really like the Prince of Persia film. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> I've just, I've, I've probably made myself a pariah. But yeah, I thought it was fun and silly. And well, I just, uh, it was a bit of a romp. It I, was a Disney well, film. <laughs> well, and honestly, other than Iron Man 3, has Ben Kingsley ever made a bad movie? <laughs> true, true. But yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem in theory with adaptation. I think it can be excellent. But for instance, the Lord of the Rings films, what I'm thinking of was oh, PlayStation 2, like 10 years ago when the films mm, came out. Yes. It was horrible because it was just the film, except you had to kill the enemies with X. Yeah. It was utterly pants. I remember that game. It was rubbish. It's yeah. terrible. I honestly feel like adaptation, it's like you said, a mixed bag in that if you stick way too close to the source material, you're not allowing the player any sort of interactivity, which is very important in a video game. Whereas yeah. it's in a story, not so much really. Yeah. For example, using The Lord of the Rings as an example, it's a very simple story. A to B, story's done. Whereas in a video game, you wanted to, you would want to be, for example, if you wanted to do a Lord of the Rings game that would really do well, just as an example, you would set it in a setting very similar to, say, Skyrim, for example. You would open up the world of Middle-earth to the player. You have this quest you're going to do eventually, but in the meantime, check things out. You know that there is an adventure happening, but you're still able to do your own thing. And most adaptations either try to stick way too close to the source material or they venture so far out that they're no longer part of the story anymore. They don't seem to be able to hit that middle ground very often. But when they do, it's good, but it's just a it's a blue moon, as it were. Yeah, yeah think, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, th I think you're right. It's when, when you're trying to stay within the world that's been built with within the existing uh, story, movie, whatever, um, it's, it's tough to... Uh, linear games just don't seem to be in fashion right now too that's part that's part of the problem <laughs> and and i think i think it's it's difficult when there's that that push for open worldness and and for uh choice and stuff like that i mean i i still i i, I have you two heard about their how telltale are going to be doing a game of thrones game i i just don't understand yeah. how, how they're going to shoehorn that into something that's just so detailed and specific and i mean go, 
bless them if they can pull it off. But <laughs> it, it, it just, that's a, just a good example of the of the, of the challenge. Uh, although I like the Lord of the Rings example too, because it's it's a huge world, but the movie and the books only really go you know show you this particular band of it. So making a game either stick within that band or walk without it, it's it's a fine line. Yeah, for sure. And it comes, and I think what it shows is the the kind of the conflict or the difficulty that. Um, you're going to have negotiating story within a game because they're kind of opposites. I mean, a game is about play and improvisation. You know, um, games have rules. Stories kind of don't. They're just two weird concepts to put together. So if you have, you have to at least give the player the illusion of choice and of influence. And I think that gets really difficult to do if the story is preset, especially if you know what the story is in advance. Know what has um, to happen. You, you, yeah. Yeah. And you, you're doing nothing but going through the motions rather than feeling like you're involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as we're, uh, as we're approaching the hour mark, I, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to, to go to a few best worst calls from, from everybody. Cause, uh, I, I've got a few, um, for, for me, um, just, just in terms of game or franchise, uh, pro- probably game for me, Probably my two favorites in terms of best written would be Portal and uh, the other the other Grim Fandango. And I don't know if uh, either of you two know that one. That's another Lucas Arts uh, classic yeah. from back in the day that I just found amazingly well written. And I, you know, I'd I'd some I'd been somebody that that grew up playing a lot of the old Sierra uh, Sierra Online games like oh, your King's yeah, Quests and and loved those. And they had great writing in in their own way and and they had depth. But Grim Fandango was just Everything about the art design and the setting and and just everything was on point. And Portal, you know, uh, yeah, just a a, a story a story um, shoehorned into a game that was really on the face of it more about a weird gameplay mechanic, and it it just worked so well. And um, I, I you know it, I I know that it was ostensibly set in the Half Life universe, so I gave it a I gave it a chance just based on that alone. But it it ended up being a a, a different type of story and 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 characterization in a game where there's only one person talking <laughs> and you're, and you're <laughs> passive and yet it just still the, 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 the back and forth and the, 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 the plot of that game. I just, I just found so they, they do, they do so much with so little in that game and a game that I think is what three or four hours start to finish. That's yeah. 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 Just a real highlight for me. What, what do you, what do you two reckon as far as your, um, uh, what, what are your best one or two, um, favorite games uh, in terms of writing how about you goose in terms of writing i go with uh, the first one's gonna be a little bit old school <laughs> it's all it's, right um the four final fantasy game oh wow that's way back <laughs> it does have some of the old cliches we've talked about but now this has always had a special place for me it was the very first rpg i ever actually played and the reason that i feel like it's hold up so well is because it takes those old because it's basically a retelling of the arthurial myth mixed in with a final fantasy crystal gathering really and it takes that story and it gives you so many different twists and turns that you really want to keep playing it. And 22 years later, I'm still playing this game. So I'm going to show you just the longevity it had. If I were to name my second favorite, it would be Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem for the GameCube. GameCube. Mm. Because it's one of the few horror for, it's one of the few horror games that's legitimately scary. Number one, it just it doesn't just throw jump scares at you. It legitimately is a scary story. It's basically a retelling of the Cthulhu mythos. But what makes it so good is the fact that first of all, how many of us know the Cthulhu myth? Number one, so it was a surprise going through it. 
And looking back, hell, it's been so long since I played the game, I probably could play it now and not remember anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> how about? I love so, it when that happens. How about you, Victoria? What do you, what's your highlight or highlights? Um, I'm trying to kind of draw a line between what I think is technically very, very good and what has actually been my favorite game. Yeah. Um, because I think often favorites and things you're attracted to, you might have to admit that they're not very good technically, but you just love them. Yeah. Like, um, actually, Monkey Island is great in many ways. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know if story is something that I'd put up as a highlight, but it is just a great game. It's writing is hilarious. Yeah. So probably, um, the, pro the ones I point out are fairly new. Uh, Dear Esther, which I've mentioned, and I talk about and hold the line whenever anyone gives me the opportunity because <laughs> it's not <laughs> its not that it's like mind-blowing and you'll never be the same, but it's just such a cool experiment. its um, I, When I first finished it, I described it as like a poem, if you were playing a poem. Um, huh. You know, it's kind of odd. You don't know what to make of it. You have to read it twice, you know, with poetry. I poetry can just be so weird and it can be so emotive in the way that not all literature can, you know. Uh, and Dear Esther is amazing. Have you ever played it? No, no. I've I've heard a lot about it. it it's it's um it's polarizing for some because I, I've heard some people come say it's yeah. not a game. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you're basically just exploring a world. You don't know anything about anything, and as you reach certain points, you're just looking around and looking at things. You can't pick anything up or do anything really. Um, and there'll be voice triggers, and every trigger you can get one of three things and it, it would be talking to you about um paul from the bible and then this other paul guy um and it puts it together in a way that every time it's only like an hour or two um, oh. of, worth of game so oh, right. you're being told this story which is going to be different every time because the voice triggers are random yet they fit together it's it's really incredible so that's an awesome experimental mm. storytelling mm. and bioshock yeah, yeah. Um, I hate that genre. Ah. I don't like horror. I can't play scary games. <laughs> but the, the way that they told the story through so many different ways, you know, the characters, the memos, um, the environment that you're in. It's just, it, that, it, that is how you do it. That's a really well done mode of storytelling where they draw on everything they've got in their arsenal to make this world that tells you a story. Yeah, yeah. it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a unique entry into the FPS genre I, I i don't think uh I, I don't think i'd ever seen anything like it before and um that i think that's why everyone had such high expectations of infinite because you know mm. i don't think since then anyone's really managed to do what they did as well either so um well it it would be uh remiss of me if we didn't at least touch on low lights too and i'll get mine out <laughs> of, i'll get mine out of the way uh and i don't know i i might get a bit of criticism for this but uh metal gear solid 2 uh, I, I, and I love the first game and it was a classic in every sense of the word. And I'm not saying that Metal Gear Solid 2 is a bad game, but story-wise, it is just, it's just insane. It's, <laughs> it, it, it is just insane. Yeah. So many nonsense plot twists. I, I, I just got, I got so lost trying to follow Metal Gear Solid 2. A search and rescue team had to locate me by the time I was through with it. It, it was just just completely confusing i mean the the updated version was substance they they should have called it absinthe because that's how delirious i felt <laughs> a, a, after i had gotten through it. it and look i have a lot of respect for the the franchise but uh they they just they were trying too hard that's all i can say about the story in that game i i, I can't i can't even um it, 
I, I don't think there is an A, B, C, D in that game. I, I, I think it, I think they just basically threw the Scrabble tiles on the ground and, and just picked their way randomly because start to finish, that game just didn't make sense. How, how about you, Vicky? What, what do you reckon is uh, the, the most egregious story <laughs> you've ever encountered? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Why is it really hard to think of games that I hate? Is um, it because they're forgettable? Is that is that the worst sin? <laughs> I'm hoping that that's what the problem is. Like, oh, they're just so rubbish that I don't even make space in my brain for them. It's because Victoria is British and they have a hard time being mean about things. <laughs> is that, Trust is me, that all we, it is? We, 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 here, we here in the land of America know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you go first. Yeah, do we know, do we know the answer already, Goose? Is it is it ride to hell? <laughs> Or, or you no, only, I, you I only played 25 there, minutes. Honestly, yeah, I would put that up there, but I honestly didn't play enough to make a fair call. I mean, I did, but it just wouldn't seem fair. Now, the game that I finished, the writing horribly disappointed me, was actually the third Saints Row game. Because it felt like they took what happened in the first two Saints Row games, and they let a 12-year-old write the third installment. <laughs> because rather than, having, rather than having that good satire like the first two and the fourth one later would have... It just went back to sex jokes and lame sex jokes. And let me tell you, when I'm calling a joke lame, you done fucked up. All right, because <laughs> I am probably a the... sex joke. Exactly. All right, my tolerance for sex-based humor is pretty damn high. So when I'm saying, man, okay, that's too far, wow. Um, any Anything come to mind in the interim, or just... Uh... Oh, my goodness. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Although I will tell you that I had to put down Dragon Age 2 because it was so poo. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pick that one back up. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, I, and I think it's coming from, like you were saying, expectations. It's coming from Dragon Age One, which is probably one of my favourite games of the last um, sort of five years. Yeah, yeah. And Dragon Age Two was was a bit rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, look, it's it was a number two. We can say what it is. Yeah. Look, we don't have <laughs> we don't have to be wholly objective about it. You're you're allowed to be disappointed in games. I uh, okay. I yeah. was disappointed. It was <laughs> shit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> learn, you'll, we'll, you'll learn from Goose yet. Um, well, and I'll make a uh, an old school recommendation. Uh, and this is <laughs> this is a weird one, and I, I I feel weird mentioning it in a in an episode that we've talked mainly about story because the story in this game is is threadbare as you can get. It's an old school uh, wrestling title uh, for the SNES and Genesis called Saturday Night Slam Masters. Um, I don't know whether either of you would have been familiar yes. familiar with it, but uh, it was a uh, a wrestling game, a two player wrestling game, um, in in that sort of final fight uh, where it it's two D, but it's a three D ability to move up and down the ring at least. Um, it was interesting in that it referenced the Street Fighter and Final Fight universe, so it, it actually kind of fit into Capcom's wider sort of universe of games. I think Mike Hagar is actually a playing playing character <laughs> in the game as well. Uh, another interesting thing about it is the artist. Uh, the anime artist uh, artist responsible for Fist of the North Star actually did all the art designs for the game, which is, you know, now that I now that I know that I look at them and go, wow, of course I can see this guy's uh, this guy's signature all over this stuff. But uh, yeah, it, just tremendously fun, idiotic game. Um, just so funny that we've managed to bracket the two extremes of you know talking about storytelling, and here here I am recommending a game that's just as absolutely brainless as you can get. Um, but look, I've I've spent many an hour uh, playing that game, and it is just mindless, good old school three button 
fun. Um, back when Capcom was just hitting it out of the park one game after another. I mean, was there a bad Capcom game back then, Goose? Uh, I, I don't know. I uh, hard hard to think of too many that uh, that weren't pretty back then, pretty memorable. I can think of. Yeah. Um, like to thank Victoria and uh, Michael Goose uh, for uh, Michael Goose. Yes, it's hyphenated. <laughs> uh, and Goose for <laughs> for like for joining for joining me today. Um, yeah, it, it, I think. Look, we we could have uh, gone on a, about this topic a, at some length, and we we may even uh, we may even have to return to it at some point. There's a, there's a lot to say about it, and uh, and 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 God knows uh, there'll be more controversy about it in future too. I I think I think we what we can all agree on is that everyone's expectations about storytelling is definitely a lot higher. Uh, so we can argue about the quality and and what's good and bad and. And you know what they should avoid and the directions uh, they should or shouldn't be taking, but I, I think it's it's fair to say that uh, your average gamer and even your casual gamer probably expect a bit more uh, from from games in, in terms of story these days. So it's it's certainly not a, an issue that's uh, that's that's going to go away. So thanks to Goose uh, and, and Vicky, and um, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week on Point Streak. Thanks, guys. Thanks.